The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope and pray that you do, would you open it with me to Isaiah 49 for one last uh, morning in this servant song. Isaiah 49, I'm just going to read verses 9 through 12. Actually, verses 8 through 12. The Word of God says, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst Neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highway shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. We've spent a number of uh, Sunday mornings in this beautiful servant song in Isaiah 49. And this song has basically three parts. It's the servant's ministry, it's the Lord's helping of the servant, and the Lord's saving and comfort of His people. I just want to give you a brief recap of where we've been and some of the things that we've enjoyed. In verse 1, we saw that the servant's preparation for ministry. In verse 2, we saw the servant's practice of ministry is to preach and proclaim the truth. In verse 3, the servant's purpose in ministry is to glorify God. In verse 3, the servant's identity is the true Israel of God. In verse 4, the servant's trust is in the Lord in what seemed a futile ministry for him. He trusted the Lord for the rewards of his ministry, and he trusted in the Lord for the strength to do his ministry. In verses 5 and 6, we saw that the servant's mission is to restore Israel, but that was too small. So the Lord gave him a much expanded ministry to be light to the Gentiles, to gather all the nations together. In verses 7 and 9, the scope of the servant's ministry goes from the prison all the way to the throne room. And then the second major section of the book, we saw the Lord's book of the servant's song, we saw the Lord's helping of the servant to accomplish his ministry. In verse 8, the Lord helped by hearing the servant's prayers. In verse 8, again, the Lord helped by strengthening the servant to endure the suffering, the shame, the pain of the cross in order to save us. In verse 8, also, the Lord helped by preserving the servant in his infancy, his life, his ministry, his suffering, and through death to resurrection. The Lord gave the servant's son as the new covenant to the people. 
to God's people. And now in the last little bit we're going to look at this morning, the Lord saves and comforts His people, both Jew and Gentile. In verse 9, He commands the prisoners to go forth. In verse 9 also, He calls those in darkness to show themselves. And in verse 13, He has mercy on His afflicted. What does that mean? Mercy on his afflicted, calling them from, uh, to come out of darkness into the light. And the reality is that we are all born in sin and live disobedient to our conscience and to God's law. And so we have become spiritual prisoners living in darkness. But Christ's death on the cross paid the debt that our sin has created. Christ's death allows God to justly offer us mercy and grace. I love that verse in the book of Romans, chapter 3, that God is both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And God now commands all men to turn away from living as disobedient, spiritually imprisoned sinners and turn towards God to live as obedient God-glorifying children who are trusting and following and imitating Christ. We have become God's people of comforted, freed children. Now, I want you to stick your finger in Isaiah 49 and turn back with me to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians 2. I was just going to read two verses briefly, but last night I was going through my editing process like I usually do on Saturday nights, and I just thought, you know what, there's such great truth here. It's worth it to take the time to just read this tremendous passage. It's explaining and and outlining for us our inclusion with God's people. I want you to read in your Bibles from verse 11, actually, down to the end of verse 22. It's a long section, but it's worth it. The Word of God says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are included no longer strangers and aliens, but now fellow citizens together in the household of God. Isn't that a great truth? If you forget everything else and just take that little bit home with you, or you're already at home, if you take it with you for the rest of the week and hang on to that, that's a great and a tremendous truth of Scripture. But it doesn't end there. Uh, Praise the Lord, once separate, but now fellow citizens As Jesus said in John 10, there'll be one flock and one shepherd where God's flock of saved sheep, his children, his household. But God's sheep don't belong in the world from which we're saved. We're citizens of God's kingdom, living as resident aliens in the world. And we live surrounded by thieves and wolves and those who will do all they can to entice and lure us away from following Christ. Now, verses 9 to 13, or 9 to 12, really, lay out for us the journey of God's people home into the presence of God. Now, of course, there is a partial, literal fulfillment of the text when the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and some Levites added with them journeyed, returning to Jerusalem and Israel under the decree of Cyrus, which was to come later. But a far greater fulfillment of the text, verses 10 to 12, is as a description of our spiritual journey following Christ who leads us home into God's presence. The Bible describes our spiritual journey as a way of life and holiness and righteousness. Psalm 1611, the Bible says that God will show us, show me, the way or the path of life. In Isaiah 35, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says that the redeemed walk on the highway of holiness. That's not a physical paved road. It's a path. It's a way to live. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus commands us to enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many, there are many who go in by it. Because the narrow is gate, sorry, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We have been called out of darkness. We have been called to go through that narrow gate and onto the narrow way to follow Christ. And Christ is the key to finding and staying on that path of life. Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One only. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Christ is the way, the path to bring us to God and to life. Following Christ We're on the journey, the path home to glory, into the never-ending presence of Christ, our King. And we're surrounded. It's a wonderful thing that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're surrounded on all sides by brothers and sisters journeying with us. 
were cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses who were already at home. And best of all, most important of all, we are being shepherded by Christ, the Lord's servant. So I want us to notice a number of things about that journey this morning. So first of all, notice the servant shepherd feeds his flock. Look at verse 9. He says, They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all the desolate heights. Now, in any journey that we undertake, especially a walking or hiking journey, regular intake of calories to replace and refuel your body is essential to finishing. I used to go hiking when I was much, much younger and, and considerably lesser of a man, and uh, up into the mountains of, of uh, British Columbia where we lived, and we used to take something called trail mix, and it was a little baggy, and it had nuts and raisins and chocolate bits, and, and you just kind of munch on this stuff, and it give you fuel for your body to go. Well, the spiritual journey is no different. We need spiritual food just as surely, if not more so, than a regular physical food. We need the regular intake of food from Christ's hand to sustain us. And praise the Lord. Christ the Good Shepherd feeds His sheep. We sang it and proven read it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why? To feed the flock. In John 6 and verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. We come to Christ to find feeding for our souls. Christ the Good Shepherd has given to His church His Word, His perfectly balanced spiritual food to sustain us on our journey home into the presence of God. And there's nothing new in what I just said. All of us know those things to be true. But something else occurred to me this week as I was looking at this. In Exodus 16 and verses 16 and 18, the Bible says that the Lord required every man to go out and, quote, gather it according to each one's need. Why? To feed themselves and feed those within their tents. And Christ our shepherd feeds us, but here is... The challenge for us, are we, each one of us, daily going and gathering the bread of life from Christ? The men had to get up in the morning, early in the morning, before the, the manna melted, had to go out and take an omer pot and fill up that omer pot with manna for themselves, for themselves and their families. And here's the lesson for us. Christ, our good shepherd, has given us and provided for us the food we need to sustain us on this journey. But not just to get by, to live this journey to its full, to live this journey as an ongoing expression of worship to God. My friend, my brother and sister in Christ, the Lord Jesus spreads a table for us every day to feast and feed from. But are we going out? And gathering it. Are we going to find that good, rich food that He provides? I want you to notice something else here. And I kind of tripped over it the first time. I didn't really pick it up. He says, And their pasture shall be the lush green valleys and the tall, rich grass. Well, that's not what he says. That's what I thought of when I read it, but it's not what he says. He says, And their pasture shall be on all desolate heights. 
Now, when I think of pasture land, I think of these, you know, beautiful rolling valleys, you know, deep grass, grass, not grass, deep grass, chasty dandelions, maybe a salty geranium or something to eat. But it's all the idea of rich food to partake of. But that's not what he says. He says, the desolate heights. I started chewing over that. The idea of desolate there is barren, a wilderness land. And the more I thought about it and meditated on what that means and why it would be that way in the text, I started thinking of God's use of wilderness and desert areas throughout Scripture. Consider this. Exodus 3. God meets and commissions Moses. Where? In a desert place. In Exodus 16, God met Israel's need and sent bread from heaven in desert places. In Exodus 19, God met Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, on the Mount of Sinai, and there he gave them the covenant, his word. It was in a desert place. 1 Kings 19, Elijah has just beaten all the prophets of Baal. And he goes, and where is he found? In a cave in the wilderness. And there God meets him in the mouth of that cave in a still, small voice. It's a wilderness place. In the Gospels, what do we see over and over again? Jesus rising early. Jesus departing into lonely wilderness places and there to spend God time with His Father in prayer. Brothers and sisters, the risk of maybe over-spiritualizing it, God promised us that the desolate heights would be pasture for the flock of God. What's the point? Listen. When in our lives we're taken through times of isolation, a loss, loneliness, and pain, there arises in us, if we know the Lord, a hunger for God, and it takes us into those wilderness places, and that hunger grows as we're stripped away of safety and security and family and friends and all the comforts of life. All those are stripped away and we cry out to God to meet Him and to hear His voice. And in those moments, brothers and sisters, you talk to some of the older men and the older women that you know in the faith. And they'll tell you of those moments when God took them through wilderness lands. And it was dry. And they became thirsty for God. And the bread was there, but it, had, it took more work to gain and grasp it and go find it. In those desolate heights, they found real, true posture with God. They found those moments when God came and ministered to their hearts with the Word of God and the Spirit of God that gave comfort for the journey. Don't, don't despise the days of going through desolate places. Because those days are where God, our shepherd, meets us in times like no other. But I want you to notice also, notice secondly in verse 10, the servant shepherd protects his flock. Notice what he says. Neither shall sun or sorry, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. Christ the faithful servant and shepherd protects his sheep. Now, the idea of strike here may not get you until you understand some of the similar ways that word is used. In Exodus 2, verse 12, Moses rose up and struck the Egyptian, killing him. It's the same word used. In Exodus 12, verse 29, the angel of death struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt to kill them. Struck them. It's the same word. 
So Christ, the shepherd of God's flock, flock, will protect his flock. Neither heat nor sun can strike us to destroy us. Nothing will be allowed to be taken, sorry, nothing will be allowed to take us from his hand. He will bring us all safely home. Maybe you're heading into one of those wilderness places and you're wondering if somehow you've been separated from the flock and you're going to be lost. No. I promise you not. In John, John chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Remember this, beloved. Enduring persecution and suffering and even martyrdom cannot take us from Christ's safe grasp. Romans 8.35, that great passage that we all know so well. Who shall separate us from Christ's love? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? The answer is no. Not one of them. Because Christ the Good Shepherd will shelter His flock. And just as surely as God delivered David from the bear and the lion and the giant and the madman king, so Christ our shepherd will deliver us from any and all who would cause us to abandon our faith and walk away from Christ. What a great shepherd we have. The king of love our shepherd is. The shepherd loves us. And so He feeds us. The shepherd loves us and so He protects us. The shepherd loves us and so He'll be a shelter. The Bible says in Psalm 61, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower for the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Did you notice the change from past tense to future tense? I, you have been a shelter for me. That's past tense. A strong tower from the enemy carries the same idea of what's happened in the past. And so he says, I will abide in your tabernacle. I know, David says, I know at the end of this journey, I will be in the tabernacle of the Lord. I know what it will be to carry on trusting in the shelter of the wings of the Lord to take care of him. In Psalm 121, verses 3 to 6. You probably got a text from me on uh, Friday, I think, from Psalm 121. It's part of my regular reading. And I hadn't gotten this part of my sermon prep yet. And so when I saw it, I was like, oh, it works so well. Listen to this. The Lord is our keeper, our shade at our right hand. The sun shall not strike us by day, nor the moon by night. What's he saying? The Lord, our shepherd who is guiding us all the way home into the presence of the living God, is going to protect us and shade us from the sun. So that requires nothing of us, right? No, actually not right. Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, O love the Lord, all you His saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What's it require for us? Stay close by the Lord to know His protecting hand. When we allow ourselves to begin to drift away, 
to allow space and time, to allow distance between our hearts and the heart of a living God. When those things begin to happen, God sometimes allows us to go through difficult times as discipline to bring us back. No! In the final analysis, God will protect us. He will take us all the way home. He will carry his sheep all the way home to glory. But there will be times when we drift away, then God allows discipline to come in. But he preserves the faithful. Brother and sister in Christ, stay close by the Lord to know his protecting hand. Stay faithful to the Lord as we walk all this wilderness road. Listen to his instruction, his counsel, and his words. Walk closely with the Lord. And to add something to what Puva mentioned earlier about the, the, the great need and the great joy it is to gather together with God's people, to fellowship together and pray together. Brother and sisters, stay close to God's people. Beware, brothers and sisters, of long absences from fellowship. You say, That's kind of a cruel thing to say. We're in lockdown. What do you expect? Hey, you know what? There's tremendous opportunities for us to be together. All those Zoom meetings that we can attend, ladies and ladies fellowships, guys and guys fellowships, us together like this, uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Friday night, Friday morning, fearful men. If you want something beyond that, call me. I'll make it happen. But there's all kinds of opportunities for us to be together. And brother and sister, we so badly and so desperately in times like this need to stay close to the Lord and close to the Lord's people. We get encouragement, tremendous encouragement from God's people when we come together and pray together. I tell you something, there's a fellowship we experience That when we sit together on our TV screens, who cares? And we can hear coming through the speakers the weeping tears of another person praying. There's a fellowship in that that you just can't get any other place. And brother and sister in Christ, I urge you, I plead with you. Take advantage of those opportunities we have to be together. What's to require of us to know the Lord's protection? Stay close. But know that at the end of the day, the Lord will carry you all the way home. Notice thirdly, the servant shepherd leads his flock. In the Eastern tradition, if you have the bulletin, you'll see on the front picture there, I went looking through all these pictures of shepherding to get the right one because I wanted to show one that had the shepherd at the front of the flock and he's walking and we're all walking behind him as sheep. In the Eastern tradition, shepherds led from the front. Those who knew the road led by going before those who didn't know the road. And Christ not only knows the way home, he knows the manner which we must walk and live in obedience to God, trusting in God. If leadership is anything, it's influence, right? The greatest influence is a good example set for others to follow. Poorer leaders lead only by instruction and dictate, do as I say. But great leaders lead by example, do as I say and as you see me doing. In Psalm 23, verses 3 and 4, notice this. He says, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. 
He doesn't send us on ahead. He steps in beside and in front of us to walk with us. Christ is the greatest leader this world has ever known because he first set the example of a life of righteousness, living it despite greater temptation than you and I will ever understand. He lived it in perfect obedience. He lived it for all to see. He lived it to the fullest extent, obeying all the way to the cross. Christ is also a merciful and compassionate leader who walks through the valley of the shadow of death or the shadow of dark places with us. That's leadership. Too many think that leadership is just shouting from the front, being the guy that chairs the meetings, the guy that makes all the dictates and commands. No, leadership is coming down and walking alongside God's sheep, putting your armor on their shoulders and walking beside them and with them. In Jeremiah 31, verse 9, it's kind of a parallel passage to verse 10 here. Jeremiah writes, They shall come with weeping, And with supplications, I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the river of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. He walks with them. He leads them. John 10 again, that passage was read earlier. The sheep hear Christ's voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings them out, his, sorry, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Christ is the great leader of his sheep. But the question is, are we following his example? Christ is a great leader. Do we know by experience His voice? Are we listening for His voice through the Word, by the Spirit as it speaks to us? Christ is a great leader. And the question for us is, are we trusting His leadership so that when the way becomes difficult, and it will, it is, we still follow. I've heard a great deal of lengthy criticism about poor leadership coming from within churches. But here's the question that comes firing back at us. Brothers and sisters, how good is our followership? We're quick to criticize leadership, but what about how well we're following? How well, how good is our obedience to His leading? And how, how great is our willingness to be led? But I want you to notice something else. There's more here. Fourthly, the servant shepherd refreshes his flock. Notice in verse 10 again, he says, even by the springs of water, he will guide them. If you remember back in your Old Testament history in Exodus chapter 15, the Lord led the people of Israel to Elam as a place of 12 springs of water and 70 palms. I believe that was date palms. And they ate and they drank and they were refreshed. And the journey of following Christ through this life can be draining. It can. Living and working in an anti-Christian world can be draining. Ministry for the Lord can be draining. Living amongst the thieves and wolves of this world who would rob us of joy can be draining. Constant outflow without the necessary replenishment can drain us dry. We all need, brothers and sisters, those regular moments of being refreshed in the Lord. 
John 7, verse 37, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He is the water of life. In John 4, verse 13, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Jesus Our Lord and Shepherd has mercy and compassion on His sheep. He does not drive us along like the old west where they drove cattle to market. He gently moves the sheep. He leads them along at a pace they can handle. And He takes regular time to stop and refresh and replenish us with living water. He, being the wise, loving Shepherd, knows when we need to be refreshed in Him. To drink of the water of life flowing where? From Him. There's a, a statement in the Psalms where it talks about David and he's fleeing from Absalom and he stopped and he refreshed himself in the Lord. He renewed his strength as he drank deeply of the Lord his Savior and his Shepherd. Paul writes to Philemon in verse 20, he says, Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, he is asking, there's one believer asking another believer to refresh his heart in Christ. And brother and sister, I urge you to find opportunities to come alongside each other, to share a quiet word, a few verses, a brief prayer, to refresh each other in Christ. To point the hearts of one another to Christ. If you sense that leading of the Spirit, Be willing to take a moment and refresh your brother or sister. Send a text. Call on the phone. Send a card through the mail. Brother and sister, think of it this way. Be the cup of water that holds Christ to refresh each other. There's always, you say, how do I do that? Pick up the phone. Just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you today. That God will give you strength to get through whatever you're facing. See ya. Click. It's just simple. Picking up your phone, and we all text like madmen these days. I spend, I send out so many texts in the course of my week. It's silly, but to stop and send a text and just say, "I just want you to know that I'm praying for you." Uh, I think about these verses. You're going through your difficult day today. I'm praying for you. You know what that does to someone when they get a text? They open up and they see the words of scripture. When they get a text to say, someone just said, I'm praying for you. That gives tremendous encouragement to the hearts of God's people when we do those sort of things. And in that way, we can be the cup that holds the water of life out to another believer. The refreshment still comes from Christ. We're just willing to be used to minister Christ to each other. I think one of the problems we face in the society we live in is we're such a me first, me too, me, me, me society that we think everybody's supposed to be refreshing me. But you know what? I'll say this from experience. When you reach out to refresh someone else in Christ, do you know how much you get back? Well, do it this week and you'll find out. No, you get lots back. More than you give on a regular basis. Last one. Fifthly, notice the servant shepherd removes the obstacles from our path. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, I will make each of my mountains a road and my highways shall be elevated. 
In our salvation, there were so many obstacles to overcome. I can imagine those returnees standing there in the entrance of Babylon. They've got all their backpacks and their hiking boots and their walking sticks and their water bottles and their trail mix. And they're looking across towards Jerusalem and there's all these mountains in the way. How are we going to get over those? And sometimes you and I look at our Christian life and we see the end of the journey all the way down there. And the, the question comes to mind, am I ever going to make it over all these obstacles that stand in my way? Consider, consider the obstacles that Christ removed for our salvation. He had to lay aside the glories of heaven to be born a man. He had to become a servant and live in the likeness of men. The one who knew no sin had to be made sin for us. Christ had to endure the horror, the shame, and the pain of the cross. Christ had to endure separation from his Father for those long hours on the cross. Christ had to suffer and die and rise again to accomplish our salvation. Those are tremendous obstacles, and yet he removed them all. Christ being Almighty God overcame those obstacles and Christ overcame the obstacles to our faith, our salvation. Let, let, let me get, get this part through our, all of our heads. If it was left to us, we would never be here. When I was a young guy and I was in touch with the gospel, I, I first heard it and I first understood it here in Australia at 10 years of age and I wanted nothing to do with it. And God just steadily worked away, removing one obstacle after another. Christ our shepherd overcame all the obstacles to our faith and salvation. Obstacles from Satan, who was unwilling to lose subjects from his kingdom. Obstacles from ungodly men who opposed the preaching of the gospel. Obstacles from us ourselves had to be overcome by Christ. Our state of deadness and darkness and, and, and the hardness of our hearts. Our state of corrupt nature and strong sinful habits had to be overcome. Our own self-righteousness had to be overcome. Our defiant, stubborn refusal to submit to God had to be overcome. And listen, just as surely as God can level a mountain and raise a roadway into a highway, so Christ our Good Shepherd overcame these obstacles to our coming to faith in Christ. And he'll also overcome the obstacles to others coming to faith. Some of you are faithfully praying for loved ones because you don't see them having any interest in God. Keep praying. God can overcome those obstacles. He can accomplish the salvation. He will accomplish the salvation of all his elect people. Do not despair, Christian, as you pray for that loved one, that friend, that family member, the worker, colleague, or neighbor. Christ, our good shepherd, can overcome and will overcome the obstacles to save them. But you know what? There's even more. Christ also overcomes the obstacles of our journey home. Christ will overcome our obstacles of fear and doubt and worry of besetting sinful habits of seeming slowness of growth. Christ, our faithful, glorious, 
humble shepherd, our Lord and our King, will overcome and He will see us gathered home to glory. If you read in verse um, number 12 there, those shall come from afar, from the north and the west. Those different descriptions there, most commentators and scholars would say from all corners of the earth, they will come and God will gather His people to Himself. Brothers and sisters, what a great servant, shepherd we have who we've been called to follow all the way home. And so what's my exhortation to us? Follow Him, brother and sister. Fix your eyes firmly on Him as He leads and follow Him. Follow Him feeding on His Word, going out and gathering up what Christ has supplied for your day. Follow Him even onto the desolate heights and wilderness places, knowing there that you will find the sweet intimacy of the shepherd and lover of your soul. The king of love, my shepherd is. He loves your soul. He loves you. He's providing for you. Go out and pick up what he's given you for the day. Follow him closely under his arm of protection, knowing that he will not let you be taken from his hand. Follow his leadership submitting and imitating His example. Follow Him, drinking deeply of the refreshing water of life, which is Christ. And follow Him, knowing that He has removed every obstacle to our salvation. Follow Him, knowing that the last great day, He will finally gather all God's people to Himself. Follow Him, brother and sister. What a great shepherd we have. Amen. Amen. Loving Father, we come before You this morning and we give thanks and we bless Your name. Father, we give thanks for our King of love who is our Shepherd. Father, we thank You for that great truth that we know so well from Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my Shepherd. I shall not want. Father, we thank You. We praise You, O God, that in Christ we have everything we need for this life. Father, we thank You for the precious gift of Your Word that feeds us. Father, we pray that You would provoke us and compel us every day to go out and gather up for ourselves and for our families that which Christ has provided. Father, we pray. Lord, I think in particular of those sheep that are going through desolate places. And the wilderness journey seems a little dry. Father, I pray that You would meet them there like You met Moses, and like You met the people of Israel, like You met Elijah, like You met the Lord Jesus. You would meet them there and speak to their hearts, minister the truth of God to their hearts, refresh them in Christ, enable them to keep going. Father, I pray also for those who have started to drift away. Father, I cry out to You for them that You would, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, by the work of, by using other believers to draw them back. Father, I pray that You would bring those wandering ones back close to home, that they would know the sweet fellowship of Lord and servant, of shepherd and sheep. Father, I pray, I plead with You, O God, for this church Lord, it's so easy right now because of this technology. It makes us easy to stay in touch on one level, but it also makes it easy for us to, to slip back a little bit and keep a little distance 
and allow ourselves to begin walking in ways we know we ought not to. Father, I pray, I plead with you, O God, for the fellowship of this church. Bind us tightly together. Father, I pray that you would compel each of us to take the opportunities that lie before us every day to refresh one another in Christ, to encourage one another, to reach out and fellowship with each other, to to draw our hearts close together. Father, I praise you. I praise you, O God, that every obstacle to our salvation has been overcome in Christ. Father, we thank you for our loving shepherd that gave himself for his sheep, who laid down his life for the sheep. Not just lay it down and that's it, but laid it down and took it up again. Father, we thank you and we praise you, O God, that we serve a risen Savior. He was alive, he was dead, and now he is alive forevermore. Father, we pray that you would draw us close and help us to follow, help us to walk close beside. Father, I pray for that one who is struggling and doesn't know where to turn to help. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to pick up a phone and call for help. Lord, that we would be able to minister Christ kindly and gently and compassionately. Father, we pray all these things. We thank you, O God, for a sweet time of worship this morning around your throne. And we give thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.